This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 172. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. Had a fantastic time at DealMaker Live. I'm still a little, little coarse from, from talking. It was so awesome to have all those speakers there. Anyone who's anyone, multifamily was there. We had over 500 people there. Super exciting to see everybody there. So energizing. And we got these shirts. We got these uh, Freedom shirts that we put together and we're solding. And we, we actually uh, donated the proceeds to support my Uganda uh, mission, which is uh, ugandacss.org. Been doing it for, gosh, eight years, eight and a half years now. Been there at Uganda twice. But anyway, this is a Freedom shirt. Okay, a Freedom shirt. If you look closer, it actually has different words inside. Uh, things like passion and purpose, legacy, choices, freedom, that you know, things of that nature. So this is kind of the inspiration of what I do is to help people become financially free with real estate. That's really my passion, whether you're doing it with as an active investor. So if you're finding deals or you're raising capital, your syndication, or if you're passively investing, because here's the thing, you can achieve the same goal, financial freedom, either by passive or active investing. So this is what we're all about, and really exciting to be able to have these shirts at DealMaker Live. So speaking of financial freedom, really excited to talk to, uh, with a guest today, Kyle Mitchell. He's, uh, he's actually one of our, our mentoring students, started about 18 months ago, and uh, has really shown how to, how to leave your jobs. He, he just radically quit his job, but he also built this platform that allowed him to raise a million dollars for his first deal. That's pretty amazing. And his second deal followed literally three weeks after his closing, his first one, and it's a $15 million deal. Why does he have that confidence, okay? Why, how has he been able to overcome his comfort zone? He talks about that and how did he build his platform? And he kind of shares with you the blueprint he went through, which is very consistent with the blueprint that I went through as well, to essentially build a platform that allows you to raise a lot of money. And so his plans is to scale his business and he talks about he talks about how he quit his job and his plans and how he did it. So let's get right into the interview here with Kyle Mitchell. Here we go. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, it's great to have you here. I'm super excited because you quit your job in your full-time real estate. And that's what everybody wants to do. I want to quit my job with real estate. So let's just go focus right on the, on the matter at hand was, first of all, why did you quit your job? Because you didn't actually quit your job because you had a bunch of income from, you know, from these apartment buildings. In fact, you quit your job before you even had your first deal. And it's funny because some people do what you do, but some other people wait till they have the passive income. And some people even wait longer because they're concerned about, oh my gosh, what if it goes away or whatever, right? So they're really afraid to let go. And you're like, screw it, I'm out of here. You know, so why did you choose that route? And then also, how did you architect it? Because there's also a reality of, hey, man, I got to cover my, my living expenses somehow. So you can't just quit your job. You've got to have a plan for that. So first of all, why did you choose this course of action versus maybe waiting until you had some passive income? And then how did you actually do it? Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of things in there for sure that, that went into my planning process. But I had planned on leaving my job for about two years before I actually left my job. Now, like you said, I was making $0 from my multifamily company at the time. I had saved up money for two years. I had some savings. And then my wife as well uh, has a full-time job. So we do have a little bit of a you know fallback there. But I'm just the type of person that if I'm going to go all in on something, I have to go all in. We had spent about 10, 11 months building our pipeline, educating ourselves, 
you know, we had started a meetup group. And so it was at the point where we were comfortable making offers and going to the market and closing on deals, right? We knew it was going to be a matter of time until that happened. And if we were going to do that and take our company to the next level, I really need to do it full time. All right. So you quit your job at the point where you had some, sounds like some savings. Um, you had the support of your spouse. Was she working or is she still working at that time? She is at the currently time? still working, correct. All right. So, and then you saw this pipeline forming. Um, you saw the pipeline of deals and the pipeline of investors. You're like, I-, I can do this. And if I just focus on it, I can actually accelerate that. Is, is that kind of what uh, the strategy behind that? Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do this with a full-time job and you can certainly do it. But we were getting to the point where I knew that this is where I wanted to go with my career. Uh, It wasn't something that I wanted to do as kind of a side gig. And I want to scale the company and, and get to the point where I'm one of the top investors in the multifamily space. And so to get to that point, I just went all in and, and said, let's do this right now. It was uh, prior to getting married. We don't have kids. We have a, you know, I have a spouse that has an income that can support us for a while and some savings. So uh, I decided to just jump right in and go for it. How did that conversation go with your wife? You know, it was actually a lot easier than uh, I had suspected. When we first started looking into multifamily is when we actually came across your course. And at that point, we didn't even know we wanted to get into multifamily. I had been in the single family space for the last five years. We do have some passive income coming in off of those. So that helps as well. And just looking for a way to continue to grow our portfolio. So we found your course, took your course, and we did it together. And so our goals aligned. We made sure that we talked about what our end goal was and that we were in alignment. And I think that's really important is just making sure that you lay it out together. And so when, when the time came and we just decided to do it and it was a very easy conversation. You said there was alignment and you had an end goal. What was that end goal? What did you and your wife agree on that you guys wanted to architect? We want to become entrepreneurs, you know, and run our own business and be in control of our own time and create enough passive income to be able to do whatever we want with our time. Whether that be giving back or traveling the world or spending more time with family, all those three things are kind of on our vision boards. And so when you have those alignment of goals, it's really easy to start making decisions. And after we went through your course, we decided that multifamily was going to be the vehicle for us. So you decided to kind of go all in and, and, and go full time. You had some some savings. You had a wife who was supportive, which is which is great. And then you had so then you started a podcast. You did a, did a meetup as well. And uh, what started happening when you started focusing full time on this stuff? What started happening after that? Was it a good decision? Was there some? Do you think it was a maybe? Uh, did you second guess yourself? What what happened after you decided to focus full time? I think the first sixty days was definitely some second guessing and just really getting comfortable with becoming, you know, in control of your own time. I had been in the corporate world for 15 years. And so going to work, there was always something to do, you know, whether that was my boss telling me I had to do it or or whatever it was, but there was more structure. When you're running your own company, you make the decision on where your company is going to go and and what you're going to spend your time on. So really transitioning into that was a learning curve. But Quickly, we found that it was worth it. I was able to you know, visit the markets on a weekly basis whenever I wanted. So the deal came across my desk. I could underwrite it right then and there. I wouldn't have to wait a couple of days until the weekend. And I could drive out to the market and be there the next morning. So once we started doing that, the brokers and you know, everyone in, the, in our markets, which is Arizona, you know, it took us a little bit more seriously. It, it was easier to get meetings and easier to come across more deals. Why was that? Because you would quit your job. You tell people that you're full-time? Number one, yeah, I'm full-time. So they take me more seriously. But also, I'm able to visit the markets 
more often and to get on top of it more often. So, you know, it, we would only be able to visit the markets maybe once a month, once every other month when we had full-time jobs. But now with my flexibility, I can go out there any day that I want. So you educated yourself. Uh, you actually came through our course, did some of our coaching perhaps. And you said, hey, multifamily is the way to go. And, and then 11 months after that, you quit your job, if I, if I remember correctly, on that timeline. When did you actually get into, when did you find your first deal from that point forward? So I quit in November of 2018 and we found this property in January of 2019. So just a couple months later, but it did wow. take us about four or five months until we finally closed it with negotiations and all that kind of stuff. That's amazing, right? So you quit your job two months later, you get to, you find this deal. And it's not that you were you were probably analyzing deals before that point. But like you said, you were able, it accelerated that. So, and it's so powerful, right? Because clearly you would have gotten to that first deal eventually, but it may have taken longer. So you get into, tell us about this first, this first deal. Yeah. So the way we found it was we were in the market, right? Which is another reason why, you know, it definitely benefited that my schedule allowed me to visit the market. So I was out in the market, called all these brokers and said, Hey, I'm going to be in town. Is there anything you have for us to see? And one broker said, Hey, Kyle, I literally got the keys to this property today. Would you like to come walk it with us? Uh, wow. Didn't have any financials or anything, you know, well before they put it to market. And so I got to walk it and I was the first investor to walk it. And we were about three or four weeks ahead of anyone else that kind of mm. saw it. So as soon as it came to market, we were able to put in an offer and get it locked down. It's so powerful. And, and, and most of the, I say it's an 80% maybe even more of the deals are half off market or off market deals. And it's through things like this, because you hopped on a plane, which sets you apart from 90% of the other buyers on, on people's buyers list. But what do you think though? What do you think contributed to, why did this broker take you seriously on the phone? I had been talking to him for six months, you know, I, I, and, <laughs> you uh, worn him down. It, it took a long time. I have a list of brokers in our market of over a hundred brokers, you know, and I would call them every week. I would make 15 to 20 phone calls a day, five days a week and ask if they had any deals and start to build that relationship with them. And for some of them, you know, they stopped answering and other ones, they started to build a relationship with me. And, uh, I just have it now to where there's kind of like the top five to 10 brokers that we work with in the market. Market that want to work with us that that are hustlers and, and the top brokers in those markets and it was just persistence to be honest I just kept calling them and anytime I would go visit the market I would call every single one of them asking if they have anything that we could take a look at don't you think that they were annoyed by you calling them constantly yes and <laughs> yeah and nothing you know it's just the way that it's got to be until they understand that we're serious I mean in in my heart I knew I was a serious buyer and that this was a company that we were going to build and be successful at and so I just had to prove it to them there's a lot of people from California calling these markets telling them that they're a serious buyer but until you can close and show them that you are it, it is difficult to break through that veil so you you were different because you you're persistent. You kept calling. You presumably put on a fairly professional image. You were full time or close to full time. You had a company, and you hopped on a plane, right? So the, that combination. By the time you got to that person, they're taking you seriously. What else do you think contributed to the fact that people took you seriously? Because the, the main concern is, hey, I'm a newbie. I don't have any track record. Why in the world would someone show me a two, three, five million dollar deal? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a combination of things of consistency. You know, we started a meetup over a year ago. We were getting a following with that. Uh, monthly newsletters that would go out and I include the brokers on those so they can see us being active. Right. We started our podcast and then also mentorship and coaching. You know, we, like I said, we went through your course. We took coaching with Drew 
And, you know, when you do those types of things, you can speak more intelligently to the brokers. And I just tell them my story. You know, I tell them what I'm doing, my progression. And as the year progressed, they could just tell I became more and more educated, more and more sophisticated. And it's just really keeping them up to date and about consistency and follow up. That's fabulous. So you, you hop on a plane, you tour this property. Tell us a little more, more about this property, which is now at this point off market. Yeah, I actually drove there. So it was a seven and a half hour drive. We left oh. at two in the morning and got there at nine in the morning. So we fly now, but uh, yeah, the drive is a little bit brutal. But you know, it's a 42 unit property. It's two miles east of uh, U of A in Tucson. And it's a property that was just mismanaged. It was being run by a single family home property management company. So one of the biggest line items on their P&L was just the maintenance. You know, every time someone had a, a broken door or, or needed something fixed, they're paying $35 an hour for a service call. And there were six down units at the time. And this was 12 months ago. So the T12 didn't look very good. But the seller, when she decided to sell, was starting to put some money back into it. So the property was starting to perform a little bit better. But you wouldn't know that by the performance of the T12 because of the, the first couple of months on that T12. And the biggest thing about this property was there was no way to find the phone number or, or anything other than by walking in front of the sign, which at the time, the phone number on the sign was incorrect. So I have no idea how they were even leasing up the units, you know. So just that alone was a huge value add. No kidding. Yeah. So there's definitely a clear problem there that you obviously could solve. Now, did you have a property manager lined up at this point and what role did they, were they playing in, in the acquisition process? Absolutely. So one of the things that we made sure to do was build our teams in both of the markets, Phoenix and Tucson, prior to us leaving. So we had our property management company picked out that we'd been talking to for six months, who was touring all the properties that we wanted to when we were out in the markets. And they actually have an in-house GC team as well. So the, the construction piece was fit. So yeah, absolutely. And, and they looked at the property, they walked the property with us, they priced out the rehabs, and they, they comped out the rents. And so we worked hand in hand with our property management team to make sure it was, a, it was a good asset to purchase. Now, what about the funding side? What was your intent on the equity? Were you going to raise it or self-finance it? What was your plan there? The plan all along was to do a syndication and, mm -hmm. and raise it by ourselves. We did run into a, a unique situation with the lending that I can definitely go into where we had to switch lenders in the last 30 days and mm -hmm. were able to close, luckily. And it worked out for everyone. But um, yeah, we were going to syndicate the deal from, from day one. At one point, did you start raising money? Like, did you start raising money when doing our contract? Or what did that look like maybe even before then? Yeah. So with syndication, it kind of seems like everything happens at once, right? So you, you sign the contract, you've got to get the attorney, the SEC attorney involved to draft the documents. You've got to wait for those documents to be done. And then we had a, a webinar about three weeks after we had signed the contract and we started raising money. And we had to use our extension, but basically raise the money in 60 days. So who did you invite on this webinar? Where did that audience come from? Was it a cold audience? I mean, who was on this webinar? It was basically everyone we had met through our meetup, people we had talked to from the podcast that had called us. And just by talking to people, I mean, literally for the last 18 months, we had been meeting people one by one or in a group, um, just telling them about what we did. So that's why we felt comfortable with where we were when I left my job was we had been building our pipeline and our investor list for 10 months. And up until we started raising it, it had been over 12 months that we were building our investor list. 
Aha, so you've been raising money for 18 months preceding this. That's what I was getting to. I knew you would say this. I didn't ask you about that before. So when you're doing all these things, how were you capturing these leads is and, and did you have a database you know how did you do that did you have like how did, did you build your list did you have a spreadsheet what did you do to build up this list of potential investors so you can yeah. stay in touch with them so we use mailchimp and we definitely do our monthly newsletters and things like that but we also have an investor questionnaire that people fill out and it's just about letting people know what you do i know it may be a little bit uncomfortable for people doing it for the first time but if you don't put it out there no one's going to know and no one's going to be interested. So, you know, me and my fiance at the time and, and wife now just told people what we did and asked if they're interested in it and, you know, did the meetups, promoted it as much as we could and, and just met people one by one until we felt comfortable with our list. All right. So you have a podcast, you have a meetup and how do you then get people from this group, either virtual or in person onto your list? What do you do? Yeah, we, we have meetings one-on-one. -on -one. We call them one-on-one. -on -one. We ask them what they're, if they're interested in. And so we start, you know, we obviously have our main list of just a bunch of people on our newsletter, but we'll move them over to another list as they say they're interested. And we actually use your sample deal package as our first kind of, you know, presentation to each investor saying, hey, this is what a deal would look like. This is what it could be would you be interested in the future? And if they said yes, we would ask them to fill out an investor questionnaire and then move them over to a list of, of people that are interested in investing. All right. So you have this podcast, this various things, you stick them on a MailChimp list, you send them a newsletter. And if they want to invest, there's this investor questionnaire, and then you move them onto a different list. And that signifies to you that you can show them a deal. You were doing this for 12 to 18 months, right? Is that what you were doing and building up this list, building up this list? Yep. And it's something that you consistently need to do. We're okay. still doing it now and you need to continue to just build that pipeline, right? So it's definitely a lot of work because you got to move them from one area to the next, but I think that's the best way to do it. And we've been able to build these tight relationships with our investors, you know, to where they're starting to trust us. They understand that we're serious. They see our consistency on our marketing and our newsletters, podcasts, things like that. Okay, that's great. So in the meantime, one of the things I hear a lot is, oh my gosh, I, what kind of content am I going to put? What am I going to put in my newsletter? Like who writes that? What do you put it in there? And what is that level of commitment? Yeah, so it's something that I do myself. I would love to uh, eventually kind of source this out, but it, it's just something that I've, I've done myself. We've even built an email campaign that's 20 months long. So sign, as soon as you sign up for a newsletter, you get a monthly email on top of our monthly newsletter. And, you know, I just try and educate people and add as much value as possible. I think that's the biggest thing through our meetup, through our podcast, through our newsletter. It's all about adding value. And so whether that's why should you invest in multifamily, you know, different things about the markets that we invest in, it, we try and model ourselves off of people who are already doing it and we learn from them. Yeah, that's perfect. So it's definitely a commitment. I, I know a podcast is a commitment. Writing blog posts is a commitment. But like you said, you do it because you're adding value to the investor, right? Because they have questions, they have fears, and you are answering those questions. You're addressing some of those concerns. Over time, then they get to know you and they trust you a little bit. And eventually, some of them will, will end up investing with you. So that's fabulous. So by the time you were, you had, how much did you have to raise for this particular deal? Right at a million dollars. Right. That's great. So one, how many people did you have on your list at the time? We had about 120 people that we thought could be a potential investor. Mm -hmm. There was probably closer to 250 on that list. And then we ended up with a total of 25 investors. That's great. So what was your minimum investment? 35,000. 
Okay. Why did you choose that minimum investment versus something else? You know, I think it was just feeling out our investors. I mean, again, we had them fill out the investor questionnaires and we were having one-on-one conversations with them. Typically, we would have loved to have it at that 50,000 mark so we could take on less investors. But we just knew by the information that the investors gave us that 50,000 was going to price some of our investors out. So we definitely wanted to allow for that. And so we went 35. So it's great. So you released your pulled your investors, which is really important. And um, what kind of returns were you projecting for your investors? Yeah, it's right about eight percent cash on cash returns in that fourteen to fifteen percent IRR. That's great. Nothing, nothing crazy. And they were, I'm sure, very pleased with that kind of return. What was the process from the time you did the webinar until closing? What was kind of how did you actually get the investors to write a check or to wire something? What does that What does that process look like for you? Yeah, so the the webinar was a big key to that success for sure, walking everyone through the deal. And what we did was we did a Q&A at the end and we actually typed out all the questions and the answers and sent them off to the investors as well. The one thing I would have done differently is followed up with each of those investors by phone call the following day. I yeah. did do that, you know, maybe the following week, but we got such a good response via email after the webinar that I thought, okay, the money's just going to start rolling in. And it didn't. <laughs> and so it took a couple more phone calls. I mean, we definitely had some investors, you know, that, that invested through the webinar. But I think, you know, it's all about the follow-up. And so it's walking them through their concerns, any questions that they, they may have, and taking that time with the investors. So it took about a month and a half to two months to raise the full amount. All right, great. And how did you spend that time? What, what were you doing? You were calling them. Uh, you were addressing questions. Were you telling them how to wire the money? Or what, what, was that, what was that process? What did you spend your time doing with those investors during that time? Yeah, phone calls, one-on-one, answering any questions was, was a lot of it. Gearing our emails, our monthly emails towards why would you invest in you know, this market, educating people about the given market, and then really instilling a sense of confidence in what we were doing because this was our first deal. Right. And so along with that, you get a lot of questions of have you done this before and, and why should we trust in you? And so my background was in, in management. And so I'm all about logistics, business minded and, and management and operations. And so I think, you know, once you close on a deal, that's what a buying apartments is. It's managing the manager and, and it's, it's a business. And so I think that my background fits that perfectly. All right. So that's, I was going to ask you what your major objections were. You just mentioned one. Oh, you've never done a deal before. Why should I invest with you? So you talked about your unrelated professional experience. How else did you, is that the main way you addressed it? Or how did you address that concern? Yeah. And, you know, I have been investing in real estate for the last five or six years. Now, not in multifamily, but in single family homes. Also have my real estate license out here in California. So it's not like this is our first real estate deal. It is our first multifamily deal. But we also have mentors and coaches. And, you know, we took educational programs and we have partners. So all those types of things were the things that helped us get this deal done to the, in, over the finish line. You mentioned partners. What, what, what kind of partners did you, what, how did you build a GP team to put your best foot forward? Yeah. So at first we did not build the team properly. And it was one mistake that I would not make again is just to have your team set up in advance. This is something that we wanted to do the full raise by ourselves and we felt that we could. And we communicated that to our mortgage broker. And I, I guess I was not communicating enough and I should have done that. And so what happened was, is that probably three weeks in, we were struggling with the raise a little bit, at least in my mind, right? When you're raising money, we want to get to the full amount so we can utilize that 
capital to execute our business plan. If you can't get to the full amount, you can't execute your business plan. And so at that point, we wanted to bring on partners. And what we were told is it's too late. We've already submitted your application. There's nothing you can do. You've got to go it alone. And so what we did was started kind of shopping around to see if there was any other way. And 29 days to close on our last extension we found someone that would do it. And we went uh, with a Fannie Mae route. So I had to bring on someone that had signed on Fannie Mae debt before, who had two years of prior experience, was able to do that through partnerships and relationships that we built. And we also brought on one other person to help with asset management and raising capital. And we were able to get it done. Now these were relationships that I was trying to build prior for the last eight months. And it just so happened that I needed some help. They helped me out. And now going forward, we're gonna be business partners on future deals. That's great. Is there any way you could have avoided this hiccup with the lending? Yes, I could have just, you know, through email and through documentation, just told them what our business plan was. Our business plan was always, we're going to try and raise it up front ourselves. And if we were unable to, we're going to utilize our 30-day extension to bring on partners and raise up front. There was some miscommunication where they didn't get that last piece. So they didn't know that I was going to plan on using my extension. So they filed the application with Freddie Mac early. And at that point, all the underwriting had been done and bringing on partners was not an option at, at that point. Gotcha. What was important is that you had an extension and that was really important. We, we, we always have at least one extension, ideally three. And it's normally for stuff like this around usually the financing. There's some, some hiccup around the financing always tends to, tends to sometimes be, be longer. So this is cool. So you raised a million dollars and you were creative. You had to solve some problems. You had the issue with it, with the debt. It took you longer to raise money. You grounded out the GP and you, and you got it done, which is awesome. And, um, what was after that? What happened after that? Yeah. So about three weeks after that, we've got another property, you know, under signed wow. LOI with this same partnership. So, you know, mm. everyone says real estate's about building a team and about relationships and it certainly is. And so because we were able to bring partners on this last one, it really snowballed into another deal. And so now we're able to also target larger deals because we just have a larger team. And so, you know, as you say, the law of the first deal, it's tough to, to know that that's going to happen, but it, it really is true. You know, three weeks later, we were, we were brought an off-market deal. We went out the next day, took a look at it, kind of the same situation that happened with the first deal. And uh, we liked the property and uh, now we're uh, negotiating a contract. What, what kind of size is it? Tell me a little bit about it. This is $15 million deal, 120 Ooh. units. So nice. you know, it's much larger than our first deal for sure. Nice. Are you going to raise it yourself? Are you going to use some joint venture partners or what's your plan there? We're definitely uh, going to join up and add a couple more partners on the GP side and, and make sure that our team, like I said, is lined up prior to anything happening. Right when we get under contract, we'll have our team set in place so we can make sure we can raise capital. Can your financing broker help you with that and trying to help you structure the GP so that it has a high probability of going through? Yes, you know the person who was able to close on our last uh, on our last deal has been a huge help, and I've learned a lot going through the lending process. I think there's so much that you just don't know until you go through it, and that was the case with the lending process. So we've got a good partner on the lending side that now helps us through that and make sure it's structured properly. That's just awesome. So when do you tend to close on this? Uh, we're hoping uh, first week of September right now. That's awesome. That's fantastic. What are some of your lessons learned from all this right now? Yeah. So definitely, I think when raising money, you want to at least double the amount of investors you think you're going to need. And what I mean by that, if you think you can raise a million dollars, 
it's probably going to be 500,000. So if you need to raise a million dollars, have $2 million in the pipeline, you know, and always be raising money, always be trying to add new investors to your pipeline. And then definitely make sure that you're transparent with your lender and setting up the team far in advance to make sure you have the right partnerships to get a deal closed. How have you been dealing with, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, right? Because let me ask you this, 128 unit, okay, that's pretty big, but $15 million deal. Like, did you in your mind 12 months ago, 18 months ago, imagine that you would be taking a swing at a, hundred, at a $15 million property? No. And uh, <laughs> at this point, you know, it's, I'm really big about getting out of my comfort zone. You know, we started a meetup. We started a podcast. I left my job. These are all things that, mm. you know, even 18 months ago, I never thought would happen. And now it's something that my wife and I do every year is try and do two or three things that takes us out of our comfort zone. Because we know by doing that is even though as uncomfortable as we are, we're going to grow from it. And so, you know, it's kind of that uh, ready, fire, aim type of uh, mentality but we'll figure it out, you know, and, and no, I, I never thought that I would be able to take down a $15 million property, but now we're even thinking, Hey, why not 20, 25 million? Because you start to build that confidence. You start to build those relationships and those partnerships that allow you to do those things. All right. So what's the advice of trying to get outside your comfort zone? Are you developing this mindset of, you know, ready, fire, go, right? Which is great, but there's a lot of uh, fears associated with something that's uncomfortable. Like, oh my gosh. Like, for example, let's, let's pick one. Let's pick, a, you know, your podcast, for example. Why was that outside your comfort zone? What were your fears around that? I have always been someone that's been an introvert and do not do well speaking in front of people. So it even goes back to the meetup. I just remember starting the meetup and, you know, thank goodness my wife was with me on that. So I found someone else that could help support me. And, and so I would suggest that that would be my advice is if you can't do it alone or you don't think you can, you know, find someone that'll do it with you. And so having her there as, as my support system was really beneficial. But I remember our first meetup, I was freaking out. I couldn't speak in, in front of the group and, and having her there was a huge, huge positive. But from that, you know, I now can speak in front of people and I've gotten better and better and it's been 18 months now. And so, you know, I'm a lot more comfortable in that area. The same goes with the podcast. Our first couple podcast interviews were, man, they were, they were horrible. But uh, as you do it more, more often, you just build more confidence and, and you learn how to improve and you just do it. So getting out of your comfort zone is not a good feeling at first. And now it's something that I really love doing because I know it just grows us to the next level. I was going to ask you what you would do, do differently to accelerate this timeline, but I think you've really accelerated your timeline a lot, uh, specifically by, by quitting your job, getting the education, and then building a platform, right? That, those, in my mind, are the, the ways to get to where you are right now. If you were to sit someone down and say, hey, where you were 18 months ago, 24 months ago, someone wants to do what you're doing, what's the blueprint yeah, finding a mentor for sure. And one that fits your goals. I think that's the biggest thing is there's a lot of mentorship out there and everyone does it a little bit differently, but ultimately it's it's the same type of coaching, right? And I think you need to find the right person that fits your goals. So understanding your goals first and then just taking action on them. Have a plan laid out, you know, 90 days, six months, one year and, and execute on those. And then the other thing I would say is just building partnerships. I mean, those are the key things that help you accelerate your growth. Find someone that is doing what you want to be doing and really tag on to them and learn from them and learn from their mistakes and, and what they're going through. Yeah, that's awesome. It's great just to watch you 
you know, coming in a very short period of time, having this kind of platform, raising this kind of money and going after this kind of deal. It's so, so awesome. Kyle, how can people uh, connect with you? Yeah, sure. So we also have a podcast, like Michael mentioned, Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate. So definitely check that out. And you can reach me on my email is kmitchell at limitless-estates.com. Awesome. Kyle, thank you for being on the show. You're going to inspire thousands to do the same thing that you've done, just taking action, you know, getting some education, not hard to do, and then just building a platform the way you did. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Michael. So I'm really super excited about Kyle. And I think he talked about uh, mentoring and education early on. And I do think, and he would agree with me, that everyone with enough persistence will achieve their goal. But man, he's crushed it in 18 months. And I think when you line yourselves with mentors, he worked uh, with Drew Niffen. He's now president of Nighthawk. And Drew was one of our earliest coaches, super, super experienced guy. And really shares my passion in helping people. All of our, our mentors do that. They're all full-time investors. And I don't think you'll find a single program out there where every single mentor or coach out there is a full-time investor. That's all they do. And it's just really exciting that he just he just basically did what we told him to do. You know, get your education, get out there, start analyzing deals, start building your platform. You have to attract people to you. And a meetup is a great way to do that. A podcast is a great way to do that. A book is a great way to do that. So just pick one thing and do that first. In this case, he did a meetup first okay you're just gonna meet up and it started off really small there's like a handful of people that are like i'm wasting my time no stick with it stick with it right then once you have that and you have a rhythm going then think of something else what can you do is it a youtube channel is it a podcast what do you love to do do you love to be on video do you love writing it might be an article right so what kind of content can you put out there where you can attract people to you and that's really what it is is you're attracting people to you and they want to align themselves with you to get to know you a little bit more, to get earned your trust. And that's really how you attract investors too. And as a passive investor, you want the same thing. You want to know about this person that you're about to invest with. You know, what are they like? How do they deal with challenges? What are their goals? How do they deal with setbacks in the in the in the past? And these things all come out when you meet them at a meetup or they're talking to you on a podcast. So it's important that you build this platform, right? That's how we attract capital as well. So anyway, I hope you found that really, really valuable. Uh, we talked a lot about that at DealMaker Live. We talked about building your brand. So you as a real estate investor, you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm buying and selling maybe you know properties. But no, you are. But you're really building a platform, a brand, right? And it consists of all these things we just talked about. So we talked about things like creating a podcast, like a meetup. What's it like to, to, to write a book, right? How do you create a website? How do you capture leads? That was a, a core theme at DealMaker Live, right? So we talked a lot about that. And I want you to start thinking about that in the same way when you approach your syndication business or your capital raising business is building your brand. All right. So if you're interested in investing with us, for example, with Nighthawk Equity as our investment company, go to nighthawkequity.com and uh, just click the join button. You can schedule a call with us. We'll get to know you a little bit more and, and then we'll be able to present you with some opportunities. If you are interested in mentoring kind of what Kyle did, you can go to themichaelblank.com and uh, forward slash mentor. And you can also schedule a free call with us and we'll explore whether mentoring is right for you. And I do believe that it'll definitely accelerate your, your goals, allow you to do bigger deals faster and avoid some of the expensive mistakes. And you're working with uh, one of our full-time uh, mentors. It's a real privilege to know these this group of, of guys right now. So anyway, hope you enjoyed it. Hope it inspired you to take action. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com.
There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.